Only through Christ can we have hope of overcoming our sin and our shortcomings and our rebellion in our lives. I have, uh, today we're going to be looking at a passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 that's not necessarily easy to preach. It deals with some uh, uh, issues that, that we, we one place it deals with uh, household slaves and you know, Peter's addressing an issue in his culture. But, but in reality, the whole passage deals with an issue that every single one of us struggles with. I grew up in a time when I would hear my dad, of course, I was born in 67. And so I was kind of in, in between those generations. And, and my dad would, would gripe and complain about the hippies. And uh, we lived in Cedar Park, Texas, which was a small rural community uh, north of Austin quite a ways. And there was a, uh, every year around the 4th of July, there would be this huge, oh, probably the best way to describe it was a pot party. Willie Nelson had his famous picnic right up the road uh, in, in around Liberty Hill where my wife grew up. And dad would gripe and complain about this generation is just so, you know, there's so much rebellion in this generation. Well, now I, I'm getting to be an old codger and I'm looking at this generation coming behind me, and I'm thinking about all the rebellion in this generation. Now, if, you, if, if you're any student of history or you have enough self-awareness to step back, you don't have to step back very far to recognize that every generation has a seed of rebellion in it. The reason is because every human heart has a seed of rebellion in it. I found an article, it was published in Forbes uh, magazine and on Forbes.com Forbes in 2015, and it, it was entitled The Rebellion Instinct. All I have to do is read the title and, and, and subtitle to you. The Rebellion Instinct, how each generation's need to out-rebel the previous generation is pushing society to wild extremes. They referenced a great movie quote. I had to go back and, and watch a clip of the movie it was a movie, a 1953 movie called The Wild Ones. And Marlon Brando was the star in The Wild Ones. And he played the role of a, uh, uh, the leader of a motorcycle gang that was coming into a small town and stirring up all kinds of trouble. Eventually, by the end of the movie, he fell in love with the sheriff's daughter and he stayed. But when he came into town, stirring up all kinds of trouble, there's a scene where it's a dance scene and, and he's sitting up against the wall in his leather jacket. Of course, the, the sign of rebellion in the 50s, right? Had his leather jacket on. People are smoking those cigarettes like crazy. And you, you can't hardly see a, a movie from the 40s and 50s that that's not that's some type of sign. And, and, and this young lady that's dancing looks at him and he asks him, she says, uh, hey, Johnny, what are you rebelling against? And he replied, what do you got? Oh, that's the bottom line. The, the, the truth is, we as a people tend to have a rebellious heart. And it's not just our culture. It's in an, almost every culture in varying extents. If, if you, I've been reading through the Bible this year chronologically. You cannot imagine the depths of debauchery by some of those who called themselves God's leaders, kings of Judah, kings of its Judah was the good kingdom. The northern kingdom didn't have any good kings, but Judah was a good king, kingdom where they would periodically you'd have a good king that would rise up and, and would serve the Lord. And yet in Judah, the good kingdom, you have this. 
Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like his ancestor David, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even sacrificed his son in the fire, imitating the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had deposed before the Israelites. My point is that there is an, there is a, an issue, there is a seed in the heart of every human being of rebellion. We push back against our parents. We push back against authority. We push back against God. You know, there's a, a thousand or 10,000 choices I could make when I leave here today. Things I could do. But if one of you comes up to me and says, Pastor, you don't need to go there, what's going to rise up in me? You can't tell me what to do. Or well, that may be the one thing that's now on my mind that I want to go do or the one place I want to go eat. Because we have within ourselves this, this sinful spirit, this heart of rebellion. And that's what Peter's dealing with in this text. So read the text with me. Peter writes, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful lust or sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God and honor the emperor. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and you suffer, if you endure it, it brings favor with God. Like I said, there's some tough things in that text. There's some things that we don't like to hear. In fact, the, the first command in the text is found there in verse 13. It says, submit. Our spirit doesn't like to hear that word, submit. And yet, that's exactly the kind of spirit that God is calling us to. I titled this, this message, A Submissive Spirit in a lost world. We live in a world that demands its rights. We live in a, a world where people cry out for what I can get, what I can have, what I deserve in this world. And we as Christians are not members of this world. And that's where Peter really begins the preaching in this text. And, and this is, this text is a turning point in the scripture. Peter has gone from this celebration of uh, who we are in Christ, who we are as a church, uh, the marvelous gift of grace that's been given to us through Christ, and he's moved to 
uh, meddling, so to speak. He's moved to telling us how we ought to live our lives because of what Christ has done in us. And so here he says, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles. Peter, right off the bat, wants to remind his followers, the church, that this world is not our home. If you are a born-again believer, you've committed your life to Jesus, this world is not all there is. There is an eternal future ahead of you, and in fact, your life ought to be wrapped up in the purposes of the kingdom of God more than it is in the purposes of the things of this world. We are strangers and we are aliens now. We don't belong here. We've been granted the spirit of the living God who has been placed inside of us, and, and we are a child of the king. We're not a, a servant of this world anymore. We are a servant of God. And because this world is not our home, Peter commands us, don't give in to everything that this world tries to give you. This world will say, this is where you're going to find pleasure. This is where you're going to find joy. This is where you're going to find peace. This is where you're going to find fulfillment in life. Don't give in to every temptation that this world throws your way. Because ultimately, you're going to find peace and joy and life in the things of God as you follow him. I was talking to somebody just this week about this issue. As a 16-year-old boy, I had given my life to Christ when I was 12, and I was sitting under a pastor named Dennis. You know, there's some pretty good guys out there, I think, with that name. <laughs> Dennis Higgins was preaching in the pulpit at First Baptist Church Leander, and he was talking about how God has called us to, to follow him and not follow the things of this world. Now, I had in mind how I was going to be happy in this world and how I was going to make money and how I was going to get rich, right? I, I had a plan. I'd already started looking ahead, and I'm a planner. I, I, was gonna, I knew where I was going to try to go to school. I knew the, 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 the direction I was going to try to go. And as he preached that message, I remember thinking, wait a minute. If I believe in a God who designed me, who made me, and who loves me, he probably knows better about what's going to bring me fulfillment in life. So here I'm 16. So for the next 70 years of my life, he probably knows better what's going to bring fulfillment and joy and happiness and peace than I do because he made me. So maybe I, I should trust the one who created me. Maybe I should seek him and pursue what he's calling me to do, even though it's not my plan. I don't see how if I go into the ministry, I'm going to get rich and the things of this world. But, but maybe that the, the God who made me, if I'd listen and do my best to follow him, I would find joy and fulfillment. And because isn't that what everybody wants anyway? Some people think they're going to find joy and happiness and money or in fame but in reality, what we're looking for is that contentment and joy and happiness and, and, and even purpose in life. Uh, that's one of the things I'm seeing in people my age now. And they, they, maybe they retire and they're not doing what they've done. And now where do we find purpose? Or we're not, we're not plugged into something that's bigger than us. We're not serving the, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And so everything that we do has a, a termination date. See, everything in this world is terminal. Everything in this world is fading. Everything in this world will perish. 
And so if you're invested in the things of this world, then you're invested in things that are going to die anyway at some point. If you're invested in things of God, your life will matter past time. For you, that means it'll matter when you're dead if you've invested in the things of God. This world is not our home, and so Peter calls us to abstain from from these impulses that, that come after our flesh from this world. And then he says, conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles. I titled this, this whole point, live honorably. Live as though you're serving the, the Lord, but live honorably. Conduct yourselves with honor. That word honor is going to appear a couple more times. In fact, it appears as a command later on in the text twice. And the idea there is to show respect, to live in a respectful way. It doesn't mean to bow down to the things of the world, uh, or, or to submit necessarily to all of the things of the world, but it means to live with respect and honor to those around you. Conduct yourself honorably. Live as an honorable person so that even when they talk bad about you, they're going to be seeing you doing good works. And, and as they see you do, doing good works, ultimately that's going to bring glory to God when they meet him on the day he visits whether it's the day that he returns and visits on this earth or it's the day that he meets them face to face. When they stand before a holy God, they're going to recognize those who have served the Lord honorably. So live honorably. Second, live with humility. This is where verse 13, the, the, the command in the text comes in. Submit to every human authority. Why? Because of the Lord. We have a problem with that one. We as Americans have a problem with that one. We as Texans have a bigger problem with that one. I've noticed some Texas women have a bigger problem with that than any other subculture in the world. You want to tell me what to do, right? I'm not just picking on the women. But guys are bad at it too. But we have this, this struggle with submission to authority because we have a struggle overall with submission to anything. Submission ultimately means to set aside my initial desire, my initial will, will, and set mine aside and do what's best for the group or, or to serve a, a bigger purpose. Submission in marriage, a lot of folks don't like that word being used uh, in the marriage vows anymore, but submission in marriage, Paul uses it throughout his uh, family code passages. It, it simply means to surrender my will for the betterment of the marriage. If the marriage is better, I'm going to be better also. Ultimately, the idea of submission is to, to set aside my comfort, maybe, what I think I need right now. And, and Peter gives us a great reason right off the bat to submit to human authority because it's God's will. Because God said so. The Lord tells us, by and large, we ought to function in this world without continually seeking to rebel against every human authority. Our first response ought to be to obey. Also, he says, because it, foolish, it silences foolish people. Said, and when he says submit to every human authority, whether the emperor is a supreme authority, the governor is those sent out by him, to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people, once again, by doing good. When you submit 
and, and function in this world with a, with a heart of submission and service to those around you, those who are looking for the negative in you are going to be silenced, he says. Then he goes on to say, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. What's he mean by that? Ultimately, the idea here is that in Christ, we are free. We are free from the bonds of this world. We can look at the human authority and understand that they're not our ultimate king, right? They're not the ultimate ruler over us. We serve a different king. We serve in a different kingdom. And, And there is nobody on this earth that is the ultimate authority over us. You, they can lock you in jail. They can, they can cause you to suffer. They can take your life, but they cannot take the most precious gift that you have, and that is your soul and the spirit of the living God who dwells within you. And so ultimately, we will always have victory. The child of God who is a, who is a part of an eternal kingdom will always outlast every human authority every human king, every human ruler. And so ultimately, we don't have to use that freedom for our benefit. In fact, he tells us, submit as a free people. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't use your freedom in Christ to get what you want out of the things of this world. Now, I know that this creates a struggle because just today, y'all looked at a passage, Acts chapter three. Next week, you're going to be studying Acts chapter four in your growth group, in your uh, Sunday school classes or, or your growth group on Wednesday night. And, and there's next week's passage is going to deal with Peter and John who've been thrown in prison because they're preaching the gospel and they're brought before the Sanhedrin. Now, I want you to notice that they don't fight. They don't, they don't cause a, an uprising. They don't rebel. They're thrown in prison. They're brought before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, you know, is, is all frustrated, upset with them. And, and they look at them and they say, look, you've got to quit preaching this Jesus. And Peter and John say, how can we stop talking about what we've seen and heard? Ultimately, they're going to disobey the human authority in that specific instance. So we as Christians, we fight back against this kind of of text sometimes. We want to find a way out. We, we want to say, well, you know, what about if they're going to throw me in prison? Well, what's happening right now in Canada? There's several pastors that have spent months in prison for preaching the gospel. There's some that have been fined for standing up and saying that scripture says that homosexuality is a sin, but the majority that have been in prison over the last couple of years have been in prison because they continue to have some type of worship service during COVID. One pastor, in fact, was just doing a, they, they had a worship service in their park, parking lot where people were staying in the cars, but Canada had locked down to extent that they weren't even allowed to do that. That pastor spent six months in prison for preaching the gospel in that environment. And, and so we come up, we have this question, well, what about when the government's wrong? Well, a lot of times our government is wrong because our government is made up of people. A lot of times Peter's government was wrong. Peter got crucified upside down by government, government authorities. So why, why don't we rebel against the government? Why don't we revolt against the government in those kind of circumstances? Ultimately, 
Peter did by just continuing to preach the gospel when he was told not to. But he didn't rebel in any way with physical violence. So here's a great heart check. I came up with a very simple test for you and for I when we deal with this question. Is my desire to disobey that authority? Okay. Now, the authority could be my boss or it could be a government authority. It, it could be my parents, whatever. Is my desire to disobey that authority for God's kingdom purposes or is it so I can get something in this world of more comfort or more wealth or more riches? See, the bottom line, a lot of times what the rebellion or the, 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 the outcry in our world is today is, well, that's my right. I deserve that. I should get that. That's mine. And we won't fight for what's mine. Well, that's the opposite of a submissive spirit in a lost world. God has not called us to fight like that for earthly comfort or for earthly things. Remember, we are aliens in this world. We don't belong here. This is not our world. We are exiles. We are strangers in this world. So when is it right to take a stand, to rebel? Ultimately, I think you see it in Scripture. God says to share his good news. So we keep sharing his good news. I remember during COVID, I, I was talking to our police chief about the lockdown and we had made a decision to, to hold a smaller service. Now, we were pushing the boundaries because you, in Tarrant County, you weren't supposed to have more than 10 people in the building at one time. Well, we, we kind of cut corners. I told the police chief this. I said, well, we've got 10, including me, up on stage, but we got three people back there doing the video stuff, so we technically are over the limit. And he, he, he told me, he said, well, the mayor came to me and asked, what am I going to do if churches in our area decide to hold services? And I said, well, what'd you tell him? He said, nothing. He said, I'm going to hold services because that's what's right. I appreciate that. And I know that that's not the attitude in, in every culture. And so our desire as a church was to work with our governing authorities as long as we could still preach Jesus. You hear what I'm talking about? But more often than not, that's not what's coming from our rebellious hearts. What's coming from our rebellious hearts is to get what we want, do things the way we want to do it. And that's what Peter says, submit. Now, I, I purposely divided the, the preaching out the way I did. Next week, we're going to look at what I believe was a hymn in the early church. And that hymn in the early church celebrates the greatest act and image of submission of all time. And that is Jesus's submission to the cross for you and I. And so before you go griping and complaining, well, I don't want to submit, but I want to follow Jesus. Let me tell you, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to submit your will and your desires if you're gonna be a, a servant of his, a disciple of his, a follower of his. So live with humility. He gives us four commands as he sums up this portion, this paragraph. 
And he says, love or honor everyone. Once again, that word honor means to live with respect around everybody. That is the only one of these, these four imperatives that is in a tense that, that absolutely requires that you do it. But most Greek scholars understand that because of the way he placed these verbs here, every one of these imperatives becomes a direct command that, that, that means that the Bible is telling you you got to do it, okay? You don't have a way out of it. They're not just suggestions. They're commands from Scripture. Honor everyone. Show respect to everyone. My friend, Pastor Nichols, up the road at the, the uh, Nazarene Church is preaching a series on, on dealing with tough issues in our world right now. Uh, he's, he's preached a, a message on how the church responds to transgenderism, how the church ought to respond to the LGBTQ cry for you know, marriage equality and, and, and dealing with a, a host of tough issues. And he's, he's doing a good job with it. But one of the things that he has settled on, I think that, that where I really saw his heart when we were having breakfast and talking about this other day, was that God has called us as his children not to buy in, not to support, but to show respect and honor for every single person whom he loves. He didn't, I saw a video last night that says, Jesus doesn't accept everything that you do. Jesus doesn't accept you the way you are, right? But he loves you where you are and engages you where you are and gives you an opportunity to repent and move from where you are to a better place in life. So Jesus doesn't accept everybody, but Jesus does love everyone and give you an opportunity to come into his kingdom. And, and but in light of that, as children of the king, as, as Christ's followers, we are compelled to honor everyone, show respect to every living, breathing human being. Well, what if they don't show respect to me? So what? What if they're mean to me? Doesn't matter. Our job is to show respect, to honor every living human being. Christ died for every single living human being. We are called to show respect. He goes on to say then, uh, love the brothers and sisters. That's, that's kind of a different level. The, the word he uses there is agape. It's the God kind of love that says, I'm going to love you and I'm going to care for you. I'm going to proactively put you in a place of, of honor. I'm going to take care of you because you're my brother and sister in Christ. So Peter says, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, you love them. You bring them in, you take care of them. Third, he says, fear God. That word fear God is just what you see all throughout scripture, where we're reminded that, that we need to come to a place where we understand that he is what we aren't. He is everything good that we are not. He is holy, he is pure, he is powerful, he is all-knowing. And due to that, when we come into the presence of that holy God, it brings a sense of humility as we surrender to him. We submit to God in a way completely different than we submit to brothers and sisters in Christ or to everyone in this world. All of this falls under that head of, 
me letting my heart and my desire and my things take a backseat to God's purposes. For him, we bow down and surrender everything. And then he says, he closes with honor the emperor. Yep, even Caesar, even that emperor who may call for Christians to be burned at the stake, you still show respect. You still show honor. You know, we live in a, a world in, in the United States where we are allowed to vote and we have a say in who our leaders are. And it has it, it come to the place over the last few years, and probably the last four or five election cycles, that whichever side did not get their president in office just has absolute disdain for that person. Those who, who tend to lean one direction when, when you know, they lean conservative, when, when, when somebody on the other end of the spectrum gets in office, they have disdain for them. And, and vice versa. That's exactly the opposite attitude that God's told us to have. We are still called to honor. It doesn't mean we accept everything they do or we agree with everything they do, right? But we show respect. If Peter can, can call the Christians to show respect for the emperors, of Rome, certainly we as the children of God in this nation, we're, we're not, our lives are not threatened when we come here to worship. We can show respect to the leaders who are in a position over us. Now, when he says submit as, as free people, honor everyone, love your brothers and sisters, all of that falls under this heading of submission. Now, he's going to drill down a little bit and define it even more so in the next paragraph. And I, so, so he's called us to live honorably, to live with humility. He's also going to call us to live with reverence. He says, household slaves submit to your masters with all reverence. Now, this is, this is a tough challenge for us because we don't deal with slavery. The household slave, though, in Peter's world was, was kind of in between. It, it was a little bit more akin to what our employer-employee relationships. Most household slaves weren't of the ilk that we see in, in our nation's history where they were brought over from another, uh, another continent and they were in chains and they were branded and beaten and all of those kind of things. That was not the typical picture of a household slave in the Roman world. Household slave was... was though they did not have full freedom, they also, they were basically employed in that household and whatever their jobs were, that's how they received their, their shelter and their food and how they were taken care of. And so it, it's, it falls in between. Now, a lot of times we feel like, and, and even in our culture, you're, you'll hear people cry out against their employer. You know, well, our employer's horrible. Well, are you working for them? You have a choice in our nation. And yet, People feel like we don't have a choice because we're locked in because that's how we get our food and that's how we pay for a house over our head and that's how we pay for our, our car and our gasoline. And so there, there is a sense, in a very real sense, that this, this text speaks to those who serve a boss in our culture, who are under employment and have a boss. How do you respond to that? First of all, he says, to every, submit to your masters with reverence. Okay. Well, okay. As long as I have a good boss who treats me right and pays me well, I'll submit to him. That's not what he says here. 
not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. Now, I've heard some of you talk about it. You've had some cruel bosses in the world of employment that, that you've served. Our command is to submit to even those who are mean to us, to honor them, to respect them, not necessarily to like them or to love them as we do brothers and sisters in Christ, but we are called, when we're placed under authority, we're called to show honor and respect to that authority even when they don't treat us right. To the good ones and the bad ones, we're called to show honor and respect. That is the calling of a disciple of Jesus Christ. If we're going to follow him, we're going to follow him by setting aside our desires and serving wherever we are. Now, we live in a culture where we could change jobs. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the issue. Most of us, unless you own your own business, you're going to be in a position where you're going to be serving under someone. And if you have that little seed of rebellion in your heart, you're going to find problems everywhere you go. And I've seen it. You're not happy here, so you get up and you go over there. Well, you get over there, there's something else you're not happy about. So you get up and you go over there. And you're not happy there, so you get up and you go over there. And, and every boss that you've ever had was cruel and mean to you. Sometimes I start stepping back as a pastor and going, wait a minute, who's the common denominator in this equation? Maybe your attitude wasn't very good in the place that you were called to serve, in the place that was giving you a paycheck that was paying for that food on your table and that air conditioner. Ultimately, we need to give ourselves a heart check, and that's really what this is all about. Regardless of who your master is, who your boss is, ultimately we as Christians have a responsibility to serve with all of our heart as though we were serving the Lord, the good ones and the bad ones. And when we do that, not only does God see and God reward us, but most of the time, those around us will see and will receive rewards in this earth. But we ought to be working for God's rewards for, from God's hand first and foremost. Sometimes, Peter says, you're going to suffer unjustly. Sometimes things in this world just aren't going to be fair. What do you do about it? Humble yourself and serve as though you're serving the Lord anyway. Every one of us, every one of you is going to go through something that doesn't seem right, that doesn't seem fair. You can get mad about it. You can, you can rear up with that, that rebellious spirit, or you can bring it to the Lord. Say, Lord, you've placed me here. What do you have for me here? Finally, I want you to hear this because we'll get to it next week and dig into it even deeper. Why? Why should I humble myself? Why should I submit to the things of this world? You've heard all of the reasons that Peter's given us, but I want you to hear the, the, the one singular most important thing is because you've been called to follow Jesus. A Jesus follower is not marked by a person with a spirit that demands what's right for them. I've got to have it my way. 
I want to tell you, if any of you ever asked to have that song at your funeral, either you're going to find another pastor or you're going to strike the song. I've had it at a funeral one time and it just drove me nuts. How can I, I don't want to be. Can you imagine coming before the throne of God? You stepped into the gates of heaven. and You said, I did it my way. That's what Peter's calling out against here. It's not about you getting it your way or me getting it my way. It's about me serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who loved me so much that he didn't have to have his way. He stepped out of the throne room of heaven and entered into the womb of a virgin knowing that he was gonna suffer and die a horrible, excruciating death. And besides that, he was gonna have the sin of the entire world placed on his shoulders. When he came into the, the garden of Gethsemane the night before, into the waning hours of that morning, and he was there alone with his father because Peter, James, and John, who he asked to pray with him, had fallen asleep. Jesus cried out to his heavenly father, Father, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, the, the, the very reason that we're here, the very reason that we have hope, that living hope that Peter's talked about, the reason for the marvelous salvation that we have in Christ, the reason we have it is because the one who deserved everything surrendered it all to die on a cross for you and I. He didn't have to have it his way. He submitted, he surrendered that you might have everlasting life. And in this text, Peter makes it clear that it's when we as Christians act like Jesus, when we submit, when we live humbly in a world that's lost and dying, it'll stand out. When evil is done to us and we continue to serve humbly, we'll stand out. When when we don't want to because it's not what's best for us, but we surrender and we serve the Lord humbly and we serve those around us humbly and we submit to human authority with humility. We'll stand out in a world that's marked by sin and rebellion. If you're gonna be a follower of Christ, it means to follow Christ. The greatest picture of surrender and submission we'll look at next week. It's Jesus when he carried your sin and my sin to the cross. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.